This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Go ahead and grab a seat. And I think we have a video for you. Uh, I'm going to have to get back to you. Sometimes in life you go looking for trouble. I have a feeling trouble is about to walk through my door. Vivian Cherie. She has an uncanny ability to make you do things you never want to. I'm sorry to bother you, Jake. I just had no one else to turn to. You're so strong. No one backs down to you. Flattery. It gets you nowhere. Are you in? Dealing with the difficult, this is by far the hardest of all of those people. It's going again. Yeah, I got it. Hey, good morning, everybody. So glad to be with you today. As we continue our series, Those People, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin, and you are in for a treat today. Boy, we've got some exciting things happening. Today is a baptism Sunday, and we have, I think, 12 people scheduled to get baptized, so that's pretty exciting. And those are our folks who are planning on being baptized, but as we do most times in baptism, we always give you an opportunity. If you're a follower of Jesus who's never been baptized, we're going to give you a chance to do that today as well. And I'll tell you a little more about that as time goes on, but today's going to be fun for that reason. Uh, Boy, we've got Season of Giving happening out in the lobby, which is so exciting. And if you're new with us or you weren't around last week, Season of Giving is just a simple way where we pick three organizations that are bringing relief in our community and around the world— And we partner with them to do some little things to inject a little bit of hope in the holiday season. So I'll tell you more about that as time goes on. And I just want to say welcome to you if you're a guest with us today, especially if it's your first time. Uh, My name is Kevin, and I get to guide us for the next, I don't know, 35 or 40 minutes as we continue to connect with God. And I just want to say one thing that I always forget in first service, which is so sad because our team works so hard to do this. We actually have gifts for you out in the lobby. I know it's not Christmas time yet, but— Christmas is coming, and listen, you're going to want your New Life gift. Even if you don't like it, I'm telling you, you can re-gift it, and there's a white elephant gift exchange in your future. I know it. So make sure you grab a bag uh, on your way out if you're a guest with us. And if you'd hang out in that back area, I would love to meet you and just hear your story, what brought you to New Life, and and maybe connect for a few minutes. You don't want to rush out into the rain anyway, so just stay and talk to me. Well, the holidays— are here, which is very exciting. Uh, I was in my car. I took a little drive on the back roads yesterday afternoon, and I turned on Mix 104.9, and it was Christmas carols. Chris Mix carols. It was very, very exciting for me. So I cranked that music up. I was singing at the top of my lungs. It was a glorious time. The cows and I really enjoyed it. But holidays are just such a fun time for us. They bring friends and family out of the woodwork, and they give us time to gather together. Holidays tend to bring some really, really fun people into our lives that we haven't seen in a while, but holidays can also bring some of those people into our lives. And because I love you and because God loves you, we decided to do a series for four weeks called Those People, dealing with the difficult people in life. And more than just dealing with difficult people, learning how to love and live with and serve and care for the seemingly difficult people in our lives. And today we're going to talk about manipulators. And manipulators come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're enemies, 
Sometimes they're friends. They can be family members, a husband, a wife. They can be your toddler. If you're not careful, I'll tell you some of my experience about that a little bit later. And they, they use all sorts of forms of manipulators. Have you ever noticed some manipulators use flattery? They're the brown nosers at work. They're the suck-ups. They're the ones who are always asking, did you lose five pounds? Wow, you look great. And you're thinking, I didn't lose five pounds. I gained five pounds. But they don't really care. They're just trying to flatter their way into your life. There are other manipulators who use threats. If you do blank, you'll regret it. I thought I could count on you, but I guess I can't. How about this one? If you don't do blank, I'll withhold blank. And you can fill that in however you want, but that's a threat that no person wants to hear. Uh, Let's just get honest. We're in church. We don't like to lie in church. Sometimes they use guilt. If you don't come home for Thanksgiving, and if you're a college-age person right now, if you don't come home for Thanksgiving, you're going to break your mom's heart. After all I've done for you, if you really loved me, you would, and you could fill in the blank. And manipulation is not a 21st century phenomenon. In fact, manipulation is scattered throughout the Bible. As long as there have been people, there have been manipulators, because as we said in week one, we've all been those people at some point in our lives. And in fact, in your teaching notes, which inside your program you have some teaching notes that you might want to pull out because they've got the Bible stories we're looking at today. Uh, In your teaching notes, I give you three examples of some famous manipulators that I found in the Bible. And I just gave you where you can find them so that this week you could do some research if you want to to see how manipulators kind of work. But here are three famous manipulators. There are some brothers in Genesis chapter 25. There's Jacob and his older brother Esau. And Jacob was a manipulator. And his tool of choice was food. He wanted his brother's birthright because it got him some extra finances, got him some extra honor. And so he said to his brother, when his brother came in from hunting one day, I've got this delicious stew. Would you like to eat it? His brother said, yes, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. And he said, okay, I'll give you the stew, but you have to give me your birthright. And he manipulated his way into stealing the birthright, which caused a feud in their family that lasted for years. It made it so that their spouses didn't meet until well into their marriage, that their children did not get a chance to meet until well into their relationship. Because manipulation is extremely painful. And then you've got one of the most dysfunctional couples in the Old Testament of the Bible, a couple named Samson and Delilah. And if you're new to church, um, Samson was this guy who God gave superhuman strength. And if you see pictures of Samson, usually he, he looks like Conan the Barbarian, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in those old movies. I don't think that's right. In my, in my humble but correct opinion, uh, Samson was more like Screech Powers with a mullet. Okay, that's what you have to think of with Samson. This skinny guy, I believe kind of nerdy. Here's why I say that. Because no one could figure out where Samson's strength came from. Now, if Samson was ripped and and roided out, you would know, well, his strength comes from his muscles, from the 500 pull-ups and 1,000 sit-ups he does every day. But no one could figure out where his strength came from because he was a scrawny-looking dude. And when God came upon him, he got superhuman strength. And his wife wanted to know the secret of his strength. So she said, Samson, honey, tell me, tell me where the secret comes from. And he lied two or three times. Their, Their marriage Their relationship is so dysfunctional. If you want to feel good about your marriage, read their story. (laughs) And it says he lied to her every time. And eventually, eventually it said, she says to him, if you really loved me, if you really loved me, you'd tell me the secret to your strength. And the Bible says that he was annoyed to death with her. 
No amens. He was annoyed to death with her. So he told her the secret of his strength, and it was all downhill from there. He lost the mullet. He lost the strength. It was a tragic time. And then, in the New Testament, you see a mother-daughter manipulation team. There's a guy named Herod in the time that Jesus walked the earth, and he was a ruler in the area where Jesus lived. And one night, Herod was having a party, and you can assume that he'd been drinking a little bit. He was probably a little buzzed, and he called in his stepdaughter to come and dance for them. And she danced something crazy. I don't know if she did a whip nay-nay. I don't know what she did, but it was catchy. It was, here's how we know it was catchy. He was so enthralled. Yeah, you like that? If you don't know what the whip nene is, you got to check it out. Because I'm telling you, your kids and grandkids will think you're so cool if you do it at Thanksgiving. <laughs> He's so enthralled with her dance. He says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half my kingdom. And she goes back to her mom, and her mom's the big manipulator. And mom says, tell him I want John the Baptist's head. Now, John the Baptist is the guy who baptized Jesus, a major character in the story of Jesus. And John didn't want to do it. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was torn up inside. But she got in through dance, manipulated, and got him to to decapitate John the Baptist. So this is nothing new. Manipulation has been around as long as we have been around Because there's something in each of us that likes to have control and gain control and do it however we can. But the question of today is how do we, how do we break the power of manipulation in our lives? How do we, how do we make it so that other people don't have the power to control us with their manipulation? And then ultimately, how do we release control so that we don't manipulate situations of those around us? And what I want to do is look at an interaction that Jesus has with one of his best friends at one of the high points of his ministry and look at a little manipulation relationship that happens there and see what Jesus does to break the power of that manipulation that his friend has over him. And in the context of it, I'm going to give us three prayers. Throughout this series, we're having a few prayers that we would say, if I want to break the power of this unhealthy relationship, if I want to learn how to love, I'm going to pray and ask God to give me strength to do that. And the first prayer is this, God, would you help me to recognize when someone is manipulating me. And I wanted to start with that prayer because some of us, if we're totally honest, in the quiet of this moment, we've been in relationships that are manipulative for so long that we can't actually recognize them. Usually it comes in the context of a loving relationship with a parent, with a spouse, Maybe it's a long-term working relationship with a supervisor. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids. I remember when we just had Landon. We have two children, Maddie, who's seven, and Landon, uh, who is sneaking up on on, uh, uh, five. He's four and a half right now. We had just had Landon, and neither Maria or I were sleeping that well. And Maddie would wake up like at quarter to five every morning, which is just horrible, horrible. Not, not from God, from the devil. <laughs> and I would take Maddie downstairs so that Maria could sleep a little bit because uh, while I was tired from rolling over all night and telling her to go get Landon, uh, she was more tired from the work she had to do. And so I would take Maddie downstairs and we would watch Barney. Uh, you know Barney, the purple dinosaur. 
it was a low point in my life. It really was. It was horrible. And we'd snuggle up on the sofa and we'd watch Barney. And then uh, as the show ended this morning, I remember like it was yesterday. She said to me, Daddy, I want to watch Barney again. And I said, no, no, for the love of God, no, never. She said, Daddy, I want to watch Barney again. I said, no, we're not going to watch Barney. I told you one show is all we're going to watch. But Dad, I want to watch Barney again. This went on three or four times. And eventually I realized I'm having an argument with a three-year-old. And then I thought back over the last few weeks, we had had the same argument for weeks, and I never recognized it, and she would won every single time. So she knew if I just whine long enough, if I just bat my eyes enough times, then Daddy will let me watch Barney. And it was, it was mind-blowing. I didn't realize I was being manipulated by my three-year-old. God, help me recognize if I'm in a manipulative relationship. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his closest friends, his disciples. And in a moment of authenticity and vulnerability, Jesus says to them, this is what's going to happen to me. We pick up the story in verse 21. From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed And on the third day, raised back to life. We're going to celebrate that a little bit later as we take communion and watch people get baptized, representing the fact that they are dying to our old way of living, being buried with Jesus under the water and raising to new life again. They'd be raised to life, verse 22. But Peter, one of his best friends, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Now let's just pull over to the side of the road for a second. There are two types of manipulators. One type is very easy to spot. It's your enemy. It's that controlling person. It's that person, um, maybe they're not even an enemy, but, but they're, they're, uh, they're the abusive husband, the, the super controlling, manipulative wife, and you know you love them, but you can tell this is not a healthy situation. There's those types of relationships, but then there are the loving manipulators. And Peter falls in the loving manipulator category. These are people who genuinely love us who want the best for us. If, you, if you're an adult and you have a, a doting parent who's overly invested in your life in an unhealthy way, it's because they genuinely love you. Peter loved Jesus. The problem is both types of manipulators, the enemy and the love, they both do damage. So we have to identify the different ones. God, help me to know if I'm in a manipulative relationship. Here's some signs that you might be in a relationship that is manipulative. You feel guilty. You find it hard to say no, even when you have a good reason to. And you dread making that phone call. You dread having that conversation because you know you're just going to feel so horrible about it, so horrible about yourself afterwards. Or maybe you find yourself compromising your values to try to please the other person. If you're Uh, not married right now, but you're in a dating relationship, if you find yourself compromising sexually, compromising your values to try to please the other person, that's manipulative. Maybe it's ethically at work, crossing over some boundaries, some lines that you know you don't want to go through. Maybe it's a friendship, and every time you're with this person, you do things that you would say are out of character for yourself. But they pull this thing out in you, and you don't know how to not do it. That's a manipulative relationship. And if we find ourselves in those relationships— 
we need to pray the second prayer, which is this. God, empower me to put healthy boundaries in place. God, empower me to put healthy boundaries in place. Because it's one thing to recognize that a relationship is unhelpful and manipulative. It's another thing to figure out how to take those next steps. And some of us have been in manipulative relationships for so long, and we've done the same dance for so long, we don't know how to switch over to a new dance. Can I just tell you, for some of us, it's time for a new dance. Some of us are still breakdancing, and we need to put away the cardboard. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Disco is dead. John Denver has gone to that Rocky Mountain High. You've got to change the song. You're singing, friends. Tupac ain't coming back. Biggie don't got no more money, no more problems. You know what I'm talking about. It's time to change the dance. Because that dance isn't working for you, is it? That dance makes you dread Thanksgiving, dread Christmas, dread birthdays, dread going home. That dance just isn't working. It's time to change the dance. It's time to set up a new boundary and redefine the dance you're going to do with that person in a healthy way. Let's go back to Jesus' story with Peter. Verse 23 says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Remember, Peter loved Jesus. He's a well-intentioned manipulator. But in this moment, in this one moment, not, not always, but in this one moment, Peter is trying to pull Jesus away from God's plan for his life. And Jesus sets a boundary. He says, get behind me. He's not, he's not calling him the devil. He's not calling him Satan. He's saying, right now, though, you don't have God's best for my life in mind. You think you have your best for my life in mind, but you don't because God knows what's best for me. By the way, as a little side note, if you're in one of these relationships, I would not suggest quoting Jesus verbatim, okay? Don't go home and say, get behind me, Satan. It will not go well for you, okay? They'll be casting something out of you. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to draw a boundary here, Peter. You may not say that again because you're trying to pull me away from God's best for my life. You're trying to pull me away from the plan that I know he has for me. Maybe for you it looks like this. Mom and dad, I love you. I love the way you raised me. I'm so thankful for the things you've done for me, but I'm married now, and we're going to split the holidays. That's just the way it has to be. Kids, you can roll around in the Rayleigh's aisle all you want. You're not getting that candy bar. In fact, you're going to get a consequence when you get home because this is inappropriate. You're going to get the right hand of fellowship on your tush if you're not careful. (laughs) Kids? Maybe for your boss, that boundary looks like, you know what, you can threaten me all you want. You can even fire me if you have to, but I will not cross that ethical line. That's just a line I'm not going to cross. I will not sacrifice my family for the sake of your overtime. I just will not cross that line. And your threats aren't going to work on me anymore. Here's why this is a prayer, because we need to ask for God's guidance on these boundaries. Because boundaries aren't always hard and fast. They take some nuancing. They take some insight. And I have two, two tools for you if you find yourself in this situation. The first is a book. And on your Start Here card, which we didn't talk about earlier, but you're going to want to fill this out because I'm going to send you some stuff this week. So on your Start Here card, uh, on the back, at the very bottom, it says, I'd like a resource to help me 
set up some healthy boundaries in my life. If you mark that off, I'm going to send you a resource to a book that I think will really help you. It's a book appropriately titled Boundaries uh, by Dr. Henry Cloud and, and Dr. Townsend. And it's all about how to set appropriate, healthy boundaries that bring the most out of life and actually honor the people uh, that are trying to press in on you while at the same time uh, living the way you were created to live. So if you mark that down, I'll send you that link. The second tool is your life group. Friends, if you're in a group, sometimes God uses other Jesus followers to speak into our lives. So we're praying and saying, God, help me know how to set up healthy boundaries. And God's saying, I've put some Jesus followers all around you who have my spirit living in them. Ask them about some boundaries. Let them speak into your life. This week in life groups, if you find yourself in a relationship where you need to set some boundaries, I'm going to invite you to get open with your life group. You've been together for uh, about a month and a half now, and some of us longer as we've been in these ongoing groups. But maybe it's time to take that next step of transparency and say, hey, I've got this relationship. I could use some help with a boundary. Can you help me set that up? Allow God to do what God wants to do. And then the third and final prayer is this. God, help me to see my own need to control things. And then help me surrender everything to you. Friends, I truly debated ending with the second prayer because it's so much easier to talk about those manipulative people. But let's be honest, we're all those people sometimes. How many of us, and and don't raise your hand even though you want to be in control right now, how many of us would be honest enough to say, I've got control issues. I need to be in control. It's not just that I like to have things organized. It borderlines on, on unhealthy control. There are probably two reasons why those of us who need control need control. The first is this. We've never decided who is ultimately in control. We haven't settled that in our minds yet. See, here at at New Life, we would say that God is ultimately in control of all things. That God actually has a plan. He knows the plan. He's working a plan. We are partners in that plan. But ultimately, we can trust that God is in control. That God isn't some distant deity who set the world up and is just letting it go. But God is like a personal, powerful, loving, heavenly Father who has our best interest in mind, who is walking with us in this life, who is guiding us and speaking to us. And even in times of tragedy and pain, who can bring redemption and healing and wholeness out of that. But if God's not ultimately in control of our life, our family, our finances, our future, our friendships, if God's not in control, then somebody has to be. Some of us think, well, if somebody has to be, it might as well be me, because I can do a pretty good job. So that's the first reason, because we haven't ultimately decided who's in control. And the second one is this. It's a little less flattering. It's that deep down, we believe that we actually make a better God than God. And Frank, can I just tell you, you make an excellent you. You are an excellent you. We need you to be you. This church needs you to be you. Your family needs you to be you. Our city needs you to be you. This world needs you to be you. In all that you were created to be, you make an excellent you. But you make a lousy God. And here's how I know. Because you and I can't zoom out like God can. We can't see all of history past and all of the future present. We can't zoom out and see your whole life in one snapshot like God can. 
your family, the future generations to come. We can't lay out the plan the way that God does. And God would say this to you. He would say, invest your time in being you so that I can invest my time in being me. Because you make a great you. But you just make a lousy God. God, help me to see my own need for control. Help me dig down to the bottom of it. And then help me surrender everything to you. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered control to God. You've never decided ultimately once and for all who's in control. And maybe it's because up until now you didn't know there was a God who loved you and has a plan for your life. You didn't know there was a God who we're going to celebrate in just a minute who gave his life for yours. See, the truth is God made us and knows us and loves us, but we've been separated from God by something called sin. It's this thing that is working inside of us that causes us to to dwell on certain things in our minds and say certain things and do certain things that are hurting us, that are hurting those we love, and that have separated us from a perfect God. That sin has caused a divide that we cannot cross back to God. And so what God did was God did the unthinkable. God came to us in Jesus Christ. And he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin because we're told that all sin leads to death. But God came so that we could have life, full life in this world and eternal life with him in heaven. So maybe you've never given control over to God because you didn't know there was a God who did this for you. And I want to tell you good news today. There's a God who loves you, who has a plan for you, who gave his life for you, and you can have a relationship with him. You can answer that question once and for all, who's in control? And then maybe there's some of us who are here and we've known about God, but we just didn't know if we could trust him. And I want to tell you, you can trust God. That same God who gave his life for you, if he would do that, if he would go to that length to prove his trustworthiness, then you can trust him with your life. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to give you a chance to commit your life to God. To say to God, you know what? I'm done being in control of my own life. God, I want to give you control of my life voluntarily because I trust you, and I believe that you have better plans for me than I could ever have on my own. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. And then after we pray, we're going to have a special time where we're going to celebrate communion. And around uh, the room, there are some tables with little pieces of bread and little cups of juice. And Jesus uh, invites us to remember his sacrifice on the cross by taking communion. He says that the bread represents his body, which was given for us. And the juice represents his blood, which was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And we believe that act was a game changer. And so each week as we gather together in worship, we celebrate communion to remember that great act. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we would invite you to celebrate God's great sacrifice on your behalf by taking communion in just a second. And then another great way that we're going to celebrate surrendering control to God is through baptisms. I said earlier that we have some pools of water up here. It is warm water, by the way. It might be cold water out there, but it's warm water in church because we love you, because God loves you. We have some pools of water. We're going to invite you to come up. If you've never been baptized, if you've never publicly said, you know what? God's calling the shots in my life. 
we're going to invite you to come up and we'll set you down in this pool of water. And we'll pray for you. And then we will lower you under the water, which signifies that you're dying to your old way of living when you lived for yourself. And you're raising up to a new life with God. It's a way to publicly say to this community of faith, you know what? I'm voluntarily giving control to God. I could take it for myself, but I'm not going to. God calls the shots in my life. And there are a number of us who are here who are planning on getting baptized, and I'm so excited for you. There are others of us who are here, and you're a Jesus follower, and you love God. And God does have control of your life, but you've never expressed that through baptism. And I want to invite you, if that's you, to come forward and get baptized. Jesus actually commands it. He says, once you've committed your life to me, once you've experienced my forgiveness and my grace, then I want, I want you to come forward and be baptized, to declare it publicly in front of the community of faith. And if you've never been baptized, but you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that as a way to say to God, God, I'm surrendering control to you today. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't have, uh, I don't have the right clothes to wear. It's okay. We've got some shirts we can throw on over your clothes so you can be appropriate. You're thinking, but I don't have a towel. We've got towels. You're thinking, yeah, but my family's not here. They're not going to get to see it. Well, we've got photographers taking pictures. You're thinking, yeah, but you've been drinking that coffee all day, and I don't like coffee breath. Um, I've got Listerine strips. So (laughs) once you're out of excuses, come forward and get baptized. And here's how this is going to play out. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to commit your life to God if you never have. And then we're all going to stand together. Our worship team's going to come out. They're going to lead us in a couple of worship songs. During that time of worship, I'm going to invite you to take communion around the tables and to come and be baptized if you've never been baptized. And when you come up, boy, we're going to celebrate that with you. It is a great time. So would you join me? Let's pray together, and then we will continue to worship God. If you're ready to commit your life to God today, to surrender control to Him for the first time, to say, God, I want you to call the shots in my life because I believe you gave your life for me, then you can repeat the simple prayer after me. You can whisper it where you're sitting. You can say it in your head. God hears and He will respond to you. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.